Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You know it's trade deadline season when you get your first official random player on a random team linked to the Red Wings rumor. And then you have to ask yourself, does this make sense? Would this be something that that team would do? Would this be something that the Red Wings would do? And most importantly, even if it clears all those checks, how on Gord's green earth would they get that information from Steve Eisenman? <laughs> because the leaks never come from Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, it's always from a different node. It's not impossible to get Detroit-related information, but definitely it's... It's just not from Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, the... Uh, the the dam was closed. The dam of of leaks and information coming out of Detroit was closed around uh, April of 2019. Don't know what happened then. All right, it's uh, the big game, the superb bowl, owl. the superb, superb owl. Yeah, everyone like I I always in my head I'm like oh you're not supposed to say it, but then I'm like we're not I don't know we're not radio. This isn't a commercial. We can say Super Bowl. Super I think bowl. everybody knows what it is. The super. I actually um, am a little annoyed with myself. I meant to wear my Matt Stafford jersey only because the discourse around Matt Stafford has been so weird. It's like, I think it's okay to root for a guy who you liked, who was on your team for a long time. And I think it's okay to say, I don't care about that guy because he's not on the team anymore. I think it's weird to like hate on people for liking him. And I think it's weird for, for Lions fans to count this as a Lions success, which it is not <laughs> at all. But anyways... It'll be a good game. Who do you have? Oh, yes, of course. Who do I have? Yeah. As I am the football insider, it is well known that I know more about football than both of you combined. That's absolutely true. Yes. Um, I just hope everybody has fun, you know? <laughs> just hope for a good halftime show. Hope my uh, jalapeno popper dip uh, turns out really nice. Um, Did you bring some? Not for you. I offered you a pretzel in my well, kitchen. Was, that was not a deal. Get a pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to get offered one, but now I'm not going to give you one. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, as someone who's watched two football games this year, I think I'm inclined to say that uh, the Rams are the better team. Okay. Um, but there's something about Joe Burrow just being the biggest. Um, Joe Shasty? Yeah, just the absolute boss. Yeah. Um, no, I think the Rams are better, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, I think so. They're the betting favorites. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with the Rams. Before we get into any deeper of that incredibly detailed analytical NFL talk, let's uh, let's do what this podcast was intended for, talking about the Detroit Red Wings, NHL hockey, and everything else to do in the world of puck, sticks, and skates. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. Apparently, I'm the only one around here who remembers the significance of today. I'm Brad Crisco. I was waiting to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> You're it, you, we had a five-minute intro. You missed the window, Chan. Is it someone's birthday? Yeah, God. kind of. Damn it, Evan. <laughs> what day is it? February 13th? 13th? Yeah. I don't know. I, and I'm Evan. <laughs> and today marks the seven-year anniversary. Oh, <laughs> that's not a birthday. <laughs> kind when, of. When, when three guys <laughs> love each other a lot. <laughs> oh, and they sit in a basement and start a podcast. It's the seven-year anniversary of the Winged Wheel podcast. 
I'm a little annoyed that it came on Super Bowl Sunday this time because I would have done like a we would have done a whole thing on Twitter today, but we'll just we'll put it out tomorrow. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been seven years of this. We are getting closer and closer to that decade mark, and I'm just not. <laughs> it feels long and short all at the same time. It does. That's exactly. I can't remember a time when we weren't doing this, but it still feels brand new. Yeah. Ryan was in college when this started, and now he's a broken old man like the rest of us. That's true. <laughs> you were in your 20s when we started. Kind of. You know, in, in my head, you're you're still in your late 20s to me, like forever. And that's partly because you have a baby face and you don't age, and I'm very angry about that. But it's just like, yeah, it's this whole thing feels <laughs> frozen in time. Yeah. In future, what we should do things like, you know, ask listeners to pull up favorite moments and things like that. If we were together, people and. I uh, speaking of bad takes, I don't know how this came up. Oh, something on the hockey subreddit and someone linked the hockey gifts more insider video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we were in that way too much. Well, <laughs> yeah, we were. <laughs> oh. I like the I like the Lucas Raymond one too though. The fact that the Lucas Raymond one exists makes me feel Yep. Hey, look. We were very what the hell just happened with Cider. We were very holy hell it actually happened with Raymond and we were very lukewarm on Edvinson. Edvinson was uh I think with Edvinson we had learned a lot from Cider. So there was a lot yeah. of learning to not like overreact to it. And we I mean Evan Evan called it, first of all. Evan did say it like yeah, he was I don't think we ever disagreed that Edmondson didn't fit the Red Wings bill, like what they look for. Mm-hmm. We just weren't sure with the risks. And uh, another thing was McTavish was off the board at that point, yeah. too. Anyhow. That's and Johnson. A, so seven years. Um, I think it's a step up that we even remembered it this time. We usually just skate <laughs> past it. But uh, seven years of all of your your support in the making the show into what it is. And I wish we had the words. Uh, to thank you enough for that but um, instead of giving you a whole big speech i'll just say we have some pretty exciting announcements coming up in uh, the coming days and weeks so stay tuned for that um but thank you for for giving us everything that we've been able to do uh, on the winged wheel podcast over these past seven years it comes from you the listeners and, and the viewers and here's to here's to seven more provided that we don't age out of this and die by then to the day one listeners how does it feel <laughs> Just to know you wasted seven years of your life on us. <laughs> achy. Very achy. Um, on this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, um, rather than just talk about ourselves the whole time, we'll be talking about the Red Wings' second game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Some takeaways from that. Some returning heroes and more at Cider. Um, the Guelph Connection. Troy Stetcher has returned to the lineup. Philip Zadina continued to do well on that first line. Uh, we will be talking a little bit more about something that kind of got stuck at the end of last episode, but it's a bigger discussion, I think, in Jacob Verona and what happens to the lineup when he returns. And then, uh, believe it or not, I'm going to say the P word again, playoffs, because people have been paying attention to it. Not close enough, apparently. So <laughs> playoffs for who? Yeah, everyone. Whoever has a good time, you make the playoffs. Oh, we had a great time this week, so I like our odds. That's right. And then uh, some rumors attached to Detroit, some NHL news, and uh, whatever else comes up before overtime. Before I do that, Wings Money on the Board. Go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog. Click the Wings Money on the Board post. And I want you to read that and figure uh, and find out more about what Wings Money on the Board is and how it supports the Jamie Daniels Foundation, an organization that we're very, very proud to uh, partner with and support. Um, started by Ken Daniels, Red Wings lead announcer, and Lisa Daniels-Goldman. Um 
the Wings Money on the Board campaign has raised more than $10,000 for them so far this season. And we have some exciting stuff coming up to bring that total even higher. So thank you all for your support and uh, check it out if you want to learn more. The Red Wings against Philadelphia, this time at home, second game. And man, Philly is still bad and the Red Wings still did what they needed to do that game. I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say it was as dominant. It was a little bit of a sleepy game to start, right? I wouldn't even say the Red Wings were the better team for that game, mostly. But as we've beat to death this year, when you have legitimate top-end talent, you can have nights off and still win the game because the good players do cool shit and it, you know, helps the team. Yeah, it was a noon start. And noon starts always feel like even I think Cider in his postgame admitted like noon starts just feel slow. They looked a step behind and they looked a little like mucky and disorganized. And it wasn't really until he came up for the second that that kind of alleviated a little bit. But the game did go Detroit's way. It was it ended up being a 4-2 win over the Flyers. So the second straight win in regulation um, opened up in the first with a goal from none other than the Guelph connection. So Bertuzzi and Fabry hooking up for that great play. Suter obviously in on the, the assist as well. But that line right now, in terms of performance and output, has to be one of the best lines in hockey. Mm, they're good. They're really good. They're the best. They could be one of the best second lines in hockey. Okay. That's, right. I, I'll give you that. I was you don't think that the way that they're performing and the impact that they have on the ice over the like in 2022 so like far. Like if we're looking at like a four or five game sample size, yeah, they're on a heater that that rivals most lines in the league but i'm not saying on pure talent like i'm yeah, not gonna screw take- you mcdavid and dry you guys are bums now <laughs> oh i mean depending on who you ask <laughs> nathan mckinnon can probably still not breathe out of his nose so he's not effective he doesn't count well he has a facial fracture does it feel like that guy just gets destroyed all the time well he runs around the ice at a billion miles an hour so if literally anything hits him it's gonna be devastating that's true he's like a piece of shrapnel in orbit <laughs> yeah honestly i want you to look at a sample size that is most beneficial to my argument that's the specific sample size i'm looking at there you go one shift yeah but no seriously in all honesty hyperbole aside they've been so good where you're like do not separate them work around it because larkin raymond and x and x can be zadina x can be nemesnikov x can be verona when he comes back whoever that is like Larkin and Raymond is good enough to carry the rest of that line. Those three together maximizes that second line where it's like, hey, if you get a version of the Detroit Red Wings and that's your second line and they're competing for playoffs, that's still good enough. Like that is still a very, very good second line as they're playing right now. Yeah, it depends entirely on that first line because this has been the problem for years where the Red Wings every once in a while will find that connection on the top line that works like, you know, when it was Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha, and then this year, Larkin, Raymond, and literally anybody. And, and you get a very, very effective top line, but God, I don't even remember the last time the Red Wings had an effective second line for longer than like a period. It it's been years upon years upon years. So the fact that the Guelph connection is doing this and the top line, though not on the heater they were with Bertuzzi is still, producing at the rate of a top line that's a really big development for the red wings Mm -hmm. like that's huge because one from a simplistic view fabry bertuzzi and suit are all under contract for next year Mm -hmm. so this could be more than just a band-aid solution 
Larkin and Raymond are not going anywhere. And the Zadina experiment there has looked good. So that could continue for a while. And it it really does, we're going to talk about it later, but it really does open up the possibility for the Red Wings actually deploying three scoring lines for, well, probably non-ironically, the first time in the history of this podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Who's uh, that? Who's the mystery third uh, third line in this equation? Well, if you – there's a bunch of ways you can break it down, but essentially it boils down to, hey, if this top six is really working, you can just put Vrana on the third line and then put him with, like, Nemesnikov or anybody halfway decent, and all of a sudden that line probably could start popping a few because right now the Red Wings third line on – at least that forward is probably their biggest problem the last – you know, five or six games. So at least since Zadina got pulled off of it, which I didn't even realize is probably an argument in our favor for, you know, the whole Zadina isn't bad thing. But, um, but yeah, it really does open up a lot of possibilities. Like not necessarily that it has to be constructed in a certain way, but yeah, it's, it, it really opens it up. I think there's two things here. One, it's like our slow realization, like, we're hanging on to line combinations right now. And I just did it two seconds ago, like never break up the second line, but we're hanging on to line combinations that work for like with dear life because the talent has been so sparing that if you were ever able to find a configuration that was generating some kind of output for a little while, you're like, don't, don't move. Everyone stay exactly where you are. Keep doing exactly that. But this is the result of an infusion of more talent into the team. Raymond and Sider open up quite a bit. Uh, Larkin and Bertuzzi having career years open up quite a bit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's just a lot more there. And, and going back to what you were saying about the second line, Brad, for the first time in a long, long time, I see them step out onto the ice and I say, hey, that's the Red Wings second line. I'm expecting them to do something. And before it was just essentially waiting for the Larkin line to roll, to step on the ice. That's it. Not that you would never exceed like a goal from a Fabry line or a third line or whatever. No, but it was more of just a bonus if you did see it. So, yeah, that that line has been phenomenal. Next goal was probably the more, well, it was the most exciting one until Mo Sider did something about that later. But uh, it was a, a kind of a snapshot of exactly what people who are calling for Zadina to get a chance in the top line for. It, it was Larkin gained the zone. He took care of the zone entry, came in with speed, uh, got uh, the puck poked away from him or something, and Zadina was just in the right place with space, picked it up, cut to the middle, and just fired it with the most satisfying Philip Zadina rip. And it was just a collective exhale when he put that home. It wasn't his first goal in, in the last little while, but it was his first like real, like just wired that thing. It was the first time I fist pumped a goal on the couch in a long time. <laughs> punch the table you're right that's right that's right <laughs> who do you think you are but, and no, it's like one goal it's one goal but hey four points in his last six games now and only half those games have come on the top line it was um same thing as last game like we talked about this last game was it an absolutely perfect game it was phillips Zadina the best player out there out of both teams no i don't i don't think that's the case but you could see how much more comfortable he was playing you could see him kind of let the play come to him, not force things. He was just kind of flowing with the line. He was finding himself with space. He, he didn't need to do too much because his line mates are very, very capable. And that's what allows him to be in the position as like the trailer on a Larkin break to pick up the puck and put it home. And if that's what you need to do for a guy like Philip Zadina to unlock what he can do for the team, then, I mean, 
credit to the coaching staff for doing it because it's it's a two-game sample size. We'll see what happens, but it's working so far. I actually thought he played better on Wednesday than he did on Saturday, but he walked away from Wednesday with no points, and he had the goal on Saturday. So the benefit of him being on the top line, well, there's lots of benefits, but one of the benefits is now he will have the opportunity to score without generating anything for himself, which he was not getting this no. season at all. He was doing a good job of generating uh, chances for himself, but there was not a lot that was just coming to him. So playing with Larkin and Raymond, he's going to get more than a few of those. Even if Larkin didn't mean to get Zadina that puck, it was a two-on-two and Larkin was coming with speed. Zadina's not dumb. He knows something's probably going to happen and to be ready. And yeah, it, it worked out for him. So And, and hockey's a game of odds and we've been joking that eventually once Zadina regresses to the mean his production is going to go up and you know what is regressing to the mean mean in hockey it means you start scoring some goals that you probably shouldn't because there was a lot of ones that should have ended up in the net that didn't and that's how you know yeah in general luck works so Zadina did a good job of getting to the middle and waiting for the traffic to score but he did nothing to get that scoring chance. The puck just came to him and he was just smartly trailing or trailing Larkin on the play. Not really trailing, but you know what I mean? And it worked out like every once in a while, it's it's good to see that. So hopefully this is what Zadina regressing to the main looks like. And he gets a whole bunch of freebies to make up for all the ones that he should have had earlier in the year. Just, he doesn't really care how the points come no. now. And you know what? The game... The prior game where I agree, he he probably played better if you break it down shift by shift. That had to have been impactful for him, too. And, you know, he heard it from Larkin and Larkin said he talked to him about it as well. Uh, Jeff Blaschel said it publicly. We mentioned before, like, that was a really good game. And that has to mean a lot to him. But just the satisfaction from being able to rip one home. Oh, yeah. For a shooter to not score with his, like, patented shot, that's got to be in his head. So for him to be able to dig that out was good. Uh, Thomas Grice was on one that game. Like he oh, was, he had a scorpion save. Yeah, honestly, weird. Didn't see that one on all posted on a lot of the uh, national social medias and channels. It was like th- that sequence was one of the game was one oh, of yeah. the saves of the year. Like yeah. pad save, like nice pad save first, and then kicked his leg up. Like that's gonna be should be on the montages. So and then he, <laughs> you called it out. <laughs> it's like. Grice is having this unreal game and is just good for one stinker still. Yeah, every game. He's he's the Brendan Smith of goaltenders. No matter how well he plays, oh. there's, there's always going to be the one bad one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you cut too deep on that one. I, th- I feel like that's sometimes Red Wings goalies. Like, even if Ned's having a really good night, like, sometimes one sneaks through. But Grice, Grice is very Howard-esque, like, late Jimmy Howard years with that one. Like, Ned will get – will let some in where you're like, ah, he – he might have had that one. He had a shot at that one. Grace's bad ones are like, I could have stopped that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, he was solid in the win. And like you said, Detroit at this point and for that game didn't look that much more dominant over Philly as they did in the game prior. So he made a big difference in the win. The game winner ended up, though, being um, Mort Sider stepping in from the point with a laser with the game winner. Even before that, that was 90 seconds of the best that power play has looked this year. Oh, my God. Philly couldn't do anything 
anything with that top line on the ice, uh, top unit on the ice. They were moving the puck around, moving their feet, opening up shooting lanes, getting chances, recovering the puck, moving it more, and it all accumulated in um, two chances for Sider, the second which he ended up ripping home with maybe the nicest snapshot anybody on the Red Wings has let go this year. And yeah, it ended up being the game-winning goal, so just a little important. Yeah, but it wasn't cool. Oh, it was cool. He's getting cooler. (laughs) If the goal wasn't cool enough... The the celly started making its rounds. Did he did he put a blindfold on and did did the Red Wings non-existent mascot throw dodgeballs at at whoever was in net last <laughs> he night? He actually had skates his skates on his hands for the whole game. You just didn't notice. Wow. Yeah. He uh he did the Tomas Tatar, are you not entertained? It's funny because Cider is a super humble guy. And you can tell anytime he's getting a ton of attention, like he redirects it away to his teammates. Um, like impressors and stuff like he's very reserved is he's very much the opposite of like a loud proud and i have no problem with those players who are but cider very much is like i don't want everyone to like i don't want everyone to think that i think like i'm a god but i do like that we got the arms out are you not entertained sally first man credit to the red wings photographers this year though like the amount (laughs) i i'm barely ever kidding when i say I look at a picture and I'm like, I need that signed and I need it framed for the studio. That That's the one, though. So far, yeah. That's that one's the one. It looks so good. Yeah, I don't know if that ever does end up becoming like an autograph print that you can buy. Yeah. Blank check, whatever it takes. <laughs> that's, I'm hanging that thing above my bed. We'll just, we should just make sweaters and just get it printed. Yeah. <laughs> Brad's, Brad's going to be selling a car for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Opening that checkbook. Uh, I, I would, but my cars aren't worth anything. Oh, well, sorry, buddy. <laughs> it's like Evan's getting it over his bed and that's it. Yep. Um, Troy Stetcher. I mean, it happened very fast. He got activated and I was like, oh, I wonder how long until we see Troy Stetcher at, uh, at game speed and in, in slotting into the lineup. And the answer was that night. I'm sure Philip Ronick being out plays into that. Cause obviously you need someone on the right side. Troy uh, Ronick's out on COVID protocol, but, uh, Stetcher slotted in. Not really much to say for the game, but it's his first yep. game back in a trillion years. So did not notice him at all. So I'll take it as a win. He was paired with Stall. <laughs> Stall has noticed been... Stall a lot. <laughs> I got three different texts from people saying Stall has to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I don't immediately know what it is you're referring to I sums up Mark Stall perfectly. I didn't know what they were referring to in the moment because I'm like, there's three different things that happened on the ice one was like neutral and two were like oh my god mark i'll never forget the stat card from the game on wednesday where it's like here it's basically a line down the middle and the further your bar goes to the right means here's all the good impacts you're having and the further it goes to the left it's all the bad impacts you're having cider was the number one defenseman on the red wings in terms of positive impacts mark stall was two and in terms of negative impacts mark stall was one That double-edged sword, baby. Like, there was a couple Red Wings who the bar barely moved off the line in either direction, and Mark Stahl's, like, maxed out going in both directions. He's true chaotic neutral. <laughs> uh, it's funny because there's three notable goals. Obviously, the, the Guelph connection had a fantastic goal, just, like, great chemistry and, and, and synergy together, really. Philip Zedina getting his was huge. Mort Sider's, Mort Sider's only flaw is that he doesn't shoot more, in my mind, and that was displayed. There, there was definitely... Blashell, one of the Red Wings assistant coaches, also knows Satter doesn't shoot enough. The, there's a 0% chance 
that none of them didn't walk up to him and go, do you see? (laughs) (laughs) Moritz, right there. Um, Do you see? (laughs) And there was an empty netter from Michael Rasmussen. And I was like, oh, it's an empty netter. (laughs) Keith Yandel pulls the pond hockey with your buddies play (laughs) where you're not diving on the ice because you know it's like you're You're too far away. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes if you have enough time, it's the stick and then the gloves. You throw both gloves. But this time it was just Yandel just like almost like shuffleboarded. Like he just guided his stick forward. And then all the slow-mo shots of Yandel's stick just like rattling off the ice, like wobbling. Arjun actually said the wobble's killing me. And I was like, I was almost in stitches (laughs) watching it over. Just like flies across the ice. And then Rasmussen still put the puck in. But to see it in an NHL game, everyone was like, Keith, what the hell? Idiotic, yes. Entertainment value, high. Through the roof. Absolutely recommended move. They but, said- like, the only thing dumb thing about it is, Keith, this is why you do your pre-scouts and you didn't look into Michael Rasmussen's history with empty nets. <laughs> you should have let him take his chances just in case. You should have done it. <laughs> so, uh, for those who don't know, something like that where the net is empty that's an automatic goal. So even if yeah. Rasmussen had fallen, you know, head over heels and the puck went sideways or backwards into his own net somehow, 200 feet down the ice, it still would have been an automatic goal for the Red Wings. And on the broadcast, they initially said that the assists to Larkin and Gagne were removed because it was just a, like an awarded goal, but they seemed to have been they seem to have been reawarded. So, which is good. I don't know the rule, but all I can assume is well because Rasmussen never lost control of the puck. The delayed penalties never blown. Yeah. Whatever. The play, the play just finished. I'm sure the referees or whoever, like, you know, the the off the ice judges looked at the rule book and went, eh, it's kind of weird one. Just give it to him. Yeah. It uh, helped. Larkin needed, needed it to be propelled into a tie for 15th in league scoring. Three assists. What is that? 20, 24 goals, 25 assists. 49 points this season for Dylan Larkin. Man. It's top 10 in scoring. Three primary assists. Sorry. Oh, oh, I thought you meant like overall for the whole season. I'm like, that can no. not be true. Three primary assists today, yeah. or th- for that game. Yep. And then propel them to 15th in league scoring. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. He's tied with Brad Marchand and uh, Mika Zibinijad for, for 15th. 49 points. Biggest impact on the ice. If you look at game impacts and he didn't even have a goal. So overall, you know, good game for the Red Wings. Like you said before the game, Brad, it was a bad team. They should beat them. You saw the things that you wanted to see. Moritz Sider continued to look fantastic. Um, Lucas Raymond got another point. Lucas Raymond got another point. Dylan Larkin, three primary assists. The power play was moving around and doing things. They got a good support game from Thomas Grice. And it was overall... You know, like if they lost that game and like a they really still close. allowed 34 shots against a, yeah. from a bad team, but that, well, their defense is bad. Detroit's defense is bottom of the league bad. Yeah. But imagine how did we survive this defense before Mo Sider? How did we do it? Tired eyes. We were very, very tired all the time. Like Prospect I, profile. Yeah, honestly. I, I feel like we were like unfairly harsh the last couple of years on the Red Wings defense. And now seeing what like Mo Sider can do. We I'm weren't like, hard enough. No, <laughs> we should. No, but if we went harder, we would have died of a, like a, some kind of stress related ailment. Yeah. A thousand percent. We just like, can't like twice a week to come out and say it's so bad. <laughs> it would have just been like every episode would have been 30 minutes complaining how this team doesn't score and 45 minutes of inaudible screaming. 
all of us came into this podcast seven years ago with some degree of like, I don't know, pessimism or whatever we were, optimist or pessimist. And we've just watching this team through the rebuild has forced us all to flip flop between the two like 18 different times. I don't even know what my own personality is anymore, really. It's like, they can't be this bad. It's going to get better. And then it gets worse. Ah, it can't be as bad. It's going to get better. And then it gets, it gets worse. Well, at least we can maybe win a couple draft lotteries out of this. Oh. Well, maybe we'll pick like, we'll get lucky and get the best players out of some of these drafts, even though we're not picking first. Oh. <laughs> yeah, my notes most weeks now at this point are like, don't talk about Moritz Sider and the Norris Trophy so much. You sound like a crazy person. <laughs> um, very quickly here, I want to talk about the Red Wings upcoming schedule. So before next episode. <laughs> not? I looked at it this morning. Yeah. Before next episode, there's just the uh, Monday night game, 8 p.m. Eastern in uh, in Minnesota. I love that. Uh in against, Minnesota. Against one of the top teams in the league in Minnesota. So that's what will happen before next episode. But then they got the Rangers. One of the top teams in the league. And then they got the Avalanche. One of the top teams in the league. And then they have Toronto. One of the top teams in the league. Carolina. One of the top teams in the league. Friday, Saturday, back-to-back, Tampa Bay and Florida. Oh, my Two God. of the top teams in the league. Arizona on Tuesday, March 8th. Hell, yeah. There's our win. And then That'll Mi- be the loss. Minnesota again on the top. One of the top teams in the league. Okay, this is going to be a... So... I want to f- feed this into a very like a <laughs> we've had the playoffs discussion when the Red Wings were at like the peak of output, like end of November, beginning of December, where they were hovering in and around a playoff spot. Currently, Buffalo or Buffalo, Boston is going through some stuff. We'll put it like that. They've had a lot on their plate. <laughs> Tuka Rest's uh, uh, return to play has uh, fallen through and he's chosen to retire. Brad Marchand suspended. He's appealing, whatever. They got a lot, a lot going on for them. They have three games in hand on Detroit, and they're seven points ahead. So that could turn into 9-11, 13-point advantage. I don't view this as something that, you know, I'd even be close to putting money on. I don't think people who are hoping for it are insane, though. Like, if if a team in the East is primed to collapse and have a really hard time, I mean, Boston is has a lot of the factors in play there. Um, but it would have to be a pretty significant collapse and it's kind of coming at the wrong time for Detroit, right? Like that upcoming schedule is extremely tough. So hardest second half schedule of any team in the league. I don't want to sit here and tell people someone was like, uh, you guys are really negative about the Red Wings in the playoffs. And it's like, man, it's not like we don't want the Red Wings to make the playoffs. It's just that in all reality, you're going to have to see them get back to a level of, of play that they only really had at the beginning of the season. I mean, Verona coming back could change things, but that also depends on who goes out at the, the trade deadline on uh, March 21st. I know it's a month, more than a month away now, but seven points and Boston has three games in hand. I'll say it. They don't have a chance. How many more times do they play Boston? I don't know. Every once in a while, there's a team that goes on a run like Ottawa did with the Hamburglar where they rattled off 16 out of 17 wins or the Cardinals basically don't lose a game for the entire month of September to to make the playoffs like we all remember that those stories happen they can and do happen but the reason we all remember them is because they happen so infrequently so my bar for the Red Wings right now to make the playoffs if you rounded it to the nearest whole number would be zero so if they even get close to it i'm gonna view that as a massive success and like they'll have one of the most fun runs of hockey we'll have seen in recent memory but i am i've killed my expectations just because 
statistically speaking and odds, whatever you want to go by, rounding to the closest whole number is basically zero. Like it's not It's pretty good math terminology going on here, right? So it sucks. And like as much as we want to sit here and say we can, but Ryan's right. Like Boston's the type of team that frequently rattles off three-game win streaks. So they're one three-game win streak away from having a 13-point cushion with less than half a season to go. Normally at this time of year, if teams are like five or six points out, it's like a damn near impossible mission. And that's also including uh, points percentage-wise. I think Columbus and Detroit are tied. So Detroit would also have to outpace Columbus while catching up to Boston. It's not... Do they play Boston? One more time. Yeah, it's not enough. The Oh, they're actually... 510 points percentage for Detroit as opposed to 511 for Columbus. I didn't even realize Columbus was there. Um, there, I don't want to sit here and say the Red Wings have no chance. I think there is some. But I'm going to say there's some within the space of for those interested in what it looks like. Like It's not something that's going to – I think you said it right, Brad. I don't, don't instill the hope in you like this is something that you can reasonably expect to happen. If it does, it will be considered one of the better second-half comebacks – in in the last you know decade or so for playoff teams um i think the next whatever game number of games we just rattled off against those top teams is a couple of things fantastic measuring stick yeah to see you know really show where the red wings match up against the best teams in the league which i mean you could probably look at the standings figure that out um but it also maybe will paint the, the playoff picture a little better because if you can beat those teams, the games where you're almost certainly not expecting yourselves to pull out wins, maybe that does change our, our outlook on it a little bit um, because that's a that's the maybe the hardest part of their schedule. I would I would assume without knowing all the games to the absolute end. But yeah, I think there's a couple a couple factors that can can come out of that. Uh, eight games yeah I, so, so just to use math to put this in perspective because i was curious my i might be off by myself <laughs> <laughs> no so right now the bruins are playing at 102 point pace so that's roughly where they're expected to finish for the red wings to get to 102 points with 33 games left they have to play at a 129 point pace that's all right in 33 games <laughs> not impossible like i said it's happened before but keep expectations realistic. <laughs> what I will say is for those interested in it, and I again, there is absolutely nothing wrong with hoping for this. Part of coming out of a rebuild is you have to start thinking of these things again. And I admitted to someone the other day, like covering this team, it's it's and like but being invested and in, invested in it, obviously we're fans. Um it's hard to kind of break away from the thought of maximize draft picks and now start to gun for the playoffs because you're like is it too soon? Is the team equipped? Can we do this sustainably? Uh, does does uh, does Eisenman have the defensive core that he wants like, in the pipeline for the future? Are they wasting an opportunity by not getting a top end pick, but like getting bumped out of the first round of the playoffs? All those things that anyone would be thinking about, big or small. Um, but it's okay to start to hope for it because that's part of the game. And ultimately, what we want is for the Red Wings to make the playoffs and go on cup runs and bring the Stanley Cup back to Hockey Town. No one will be more excited. Well, a lot of it. you all are very excited. We'll all be equally excited if the Red Wings make the playoffs. No one's going to be disappointed in that. As an arbitrary benchmark, see where the Red Wings are. Let, let's pay attention and see where the Red Wings are, like Evan said, after this, this stretch of tough games. 
after the back-to-back Friday, Saturday in Florida, so Tampa Bay first and then uh, at Florida, if they are any closer to Boston and they have separation between them and Columbus and Columbus is behind them, then the the idea of the Red Wings making the playoffs will be a whole lot less crazy. But it's going to be a tough test. Yeah, we're literally trying to figure out if they'll make the playoffs and they've got maybe the hardest next eight, ten games that any team's going to have. They have literally the hardest strength of schedule for the rest of the season in the entire NHL, and they have to play at a 129-point pace to match Boston's, what they're projected for. Now, again, not impossible, and I'm hoping, I'm going to be cheering like like I believe they can do it. I'm still going to be... They need, really, for me, it's they need to play, they needed to play more games against Boston at at this point in the yeah, season like if there's more four there's only points. one le- game left against boston if there was four yeah that changes things significantly hey and columbus that race is going to be there too yes they've got a saturday night game against them in april <laughs> hmm. i think it's at home is it april 9th april 9th in detroit yeah, yeah cool. so that that game might have a lot of serious playoff implications if all things go well interesting well, before we go too far down that rabbit hole, I uh, first want to tell everyone that this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, FanDuel is a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Uh, from ease of use and registration deposits and finding your best bet, uh, and withdrawals are quick and easy. FanDuel pays your winnings back in as little as 24 hours. They always have great odds boosts and specials uh, every day with some big super boosts each weekend. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get that grand back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. So we talked about, you know, the Red Wings and their playoff chances. And part of that is what impact does Jacob Rana have if and when he returns to this team? So he's basically going back to the specialist sometime mid-month, which is around now. So you can reasonably say within the next week or so, we'll have a little bit more information on Verona. He's still wearing that non-contact jersey, which the baby blue non-contact jerseys, I'm like, I kind of want one of those. <laughs> They're pretty slick. Is it because you don't want anybody to touch you? Exactly. I'm very much like I was even before the pandemic. I was like, don't be near me. please." <laughs> I hate malls. Actually, you know what I taught Mel with malls? She thought I was a psychopath for doing it. I go to malls with my headphones in. If I ever have to go shopping, like headphones in and just walk straight forward. No one bothers you. The person at like the what? Where have you been going that people bother you when you go to the mall? You know, Ryan what? is a social media influencer. Yeah. Well, you know. I don't know if I've ever been stopped by a stranger at the mall. They don't offer you like the stuff at the mall oh, when you God, walk past those that, booths. That is the worst. And Catherine always never notices them. I don't know. That's like the first thing I notice. Exactly. Terrorists and the people who hand out those things. <laughs> first thing I notice. So, Catherine just starts walking right towards them. I'm 
off. I'm, yeah. I'm don't, like, don't make eye contact. You're always on the lookout for danger then, eh? Oh, yeah. You're always like, if this, if if people broke in and started shooting this place, how would I save everyone? You're playing that fantasy. Oh, I'm not saving head. everybody. I'm saving myself. I found the, I got the exits marked. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the, the people at the mall with like the. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. If you have headphones and you just walk right past them. I just walk right past them anyway. I probably stare them down <laughs> as I walk by. Don't t- don't talk to me. <laughs> they I, just do what I do. Look poor. Then they're like, ah, oh, he can't afford this. <laughs> Evan Evan covers his Gucci bag. I don't know. Yeah, yeah walk <laughs> around with one shoe. Nobody will bother you. <laughs> just look poor, Jeez, Brad. Uh, Evan doesn't know how. <laughs> Anyhow, I'll, I'll take my my indoor, my outdoor Crocs. Wear them to the mall. <laughs> I actually don't know how I, I railroaded us onto the mall. We were talking about Jacob Verona returning. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> the non-contact jerseys. So with with any hope, let's say Verona comes back. Let's say, I, I don't want to say conservatively. Edmonton, uh, March 15th. We have Verona in a Red Wings jersey and he's on the ice. This got mentioned at the end of last episode in overtime, but it looks like there was maybe more discussion to be had here. Where does he come into the lineup first to start and where does he slot into eventually well to start probably on the third line to play a sheltered role and to kind of get eased back into it minutes wise if all goes well and or continues to go all at the top six he probably stays there and then it gives like i alluded to earlier the red wings three legitimate scoring lines for the first time since roughly the mid 2000s like I, my idea that I put forward and a lot of people had, um, <laughs> I actually made the mistake is like, I, I said, this is what I think the lineup might be, or like just an idea for what it might be right when Verona returns. And I should have stopped at the third line. And what I did was just put out whatever for the fourth line. And then everyone was, you know, like, what about Giovanni Smith? What about Jamel Smith? Uh, you have Ernie and, and everyone on the road. Shut up, Brad. You have Ernie Luke? in the wrong way. <laughs> Witkowski. And I was like, I really did this to myself. It's no one's fault but my own. I don't care who you put on the, the Red Wings fourth line. I, it, it doesn't matter. Evan, you're out. You just can't play center. We need to pick a wing and tell Ernie he's on the other one, and Rasmussen's your center. Congrats. Perfect. If you need to sub out, Abby can go, can go in. And if that's just an abdicator or my dog, Abby, I genuinely do not care. Anyhow. So a third line, and, and my idea was... What about a third line with Zadina and Valeno centering it? And that is potentially stupid in a couple ways. So I'll head those off. One, Ryan, Zadina just got a chance on the first line. He's just now getting his his mojo back potentially. Why would you pull him away from there? To which I say, well, the other solution is Verona bumps him off the first line eventually, right? So why not pull him off together tap into that chemistry that they had before that they displayed. I mean, Larkin was a big part of that, but still, and see what they can do with Joe Valeno. The second criticism is, hey, is Joe Valeno really ready to center that line? And I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure that he can. I feel comfortable saying this because it's been a a month or two since I've really ragged on him. Is Valeno ready to center a third line? No. Is he the best option the Red Wings have right now? Yes. So, so be it. Plus him and Zadina, if, if that's where you're going, did have a lot of chemistry in Grand Rapids. So yeah, 
Meanwhile, that that line has basically no physical element to it, but they can skate, have skill, and score. So they might score three, four goals a game and allow two or three, but that's still a net positive. The thing is, you know, let's let's say you do that, and let's say that line goes reasonably well. And even if Valeno's not ready, like, hey, what better way to elevate your game than to play with someone like Jacob Verona, right, who can make something out of nothing? Verona's not going to want to stick on the third line. He didn't leave Washington to come to Detroit to stay on that third line. So what's the what's the longitude on this? What's how far out can you go with this kind of setup? Because the the trade off would be you putting Nemesnikov up on the first line with Larkin and Raymond, which which worked. Yeah, it, it wasn't, wasn't like the, the best iteration, but yeah, no. Out of the three iterations of that line that we've seen this year, it was the third best. But it was doable. They were still producing. Um, the thing is, you can't get married to lines ever. Now, we always hated Blashill for how quickly he was ready to shuffle the lines, like seemingly every other game. But the reality of it is, of it is you ride what's hot until it isn't. And if, you know, the Red Wings line of Larkin, Raymond, and Zadina goes two weeks, five games, six games, something like that of nothing's happening here. This doesn't look right. All right. Bust out the blender, throw it in, bump Verana up, move Zadina to the second line if that line's gone cold. Whatever, you do what you got to do. And if that doesn't work, all right, back in the blender. Yeah. Like, I don't like shuffling lines up like every three, four, five games. But if problems are persisting, then yeah. So that's what I'm saying. If the top six is clicking like it is now for another, even close to clicking at what it is now for another three, four weeks. Verona's not sniffing that top six. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't galaxy brain it. If Verona can pop in with Nemesnikov and Rasmussen or Valeno or whoever, and all of a sudden that line starts contributing, because Verona, one of his strengths is creating chances for himself. So you could have three potent lines. And even though Verona's probably playing with a boat anchor at center, whoever that might be, he he's also going to get way more favorable matchups. Yeah. You know, Larkin and Suter's line are going to be drawing, you know, the first and second defensive units. Verona might get a handful of shifts out against the team's bottom pair. Verona will do a lot of damage against shitty defensemen. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And yeah, I mean, as soon as anything goes south in that top six, Verona is going to jump right in. And I shouldn't even say if, when. That's the way hockey goes. These two lines are not going to stay hot for the whole season. And as soon as you get that, you know, five, six game cold streak. Here's our, here's our quick fix. Plug Vron in there and all of a sudden, Hey, more goals. It's funny. Cause I'm like, do you really, how much, how much time will Verona even have to be like to get warmed up? Like, let's say he just fight. He's just starts putting in goals and making plays at an unreal rate. And you realize he's ready to, to step back into the top six. Like he's forcing the issue. Like how many games would he even need for that? And then I realized the schedule is so dense that even if he came in and missed the first six games in March, and came in for the Oilers on the 15th, he would still have over a quarter of a season played before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a bit of time. I like what you said about the, the the line blender, though. And I think it's fair to say now that, like the meme, but like really the issue of like lines being shaken up far too quickly, that's gone. Yeah, that has not happened at all this year. There's been a lot of juggling in the bottom six, but that's fair. mostly due to injury and, you know, Mitchell Stevens getting hurt and then Carter Rowney getting hurt and then, you know, guys coming up and down, which 
If you're if you juggle the fourth line every game, I honestly do not give a shit. Again, Evan, <laughs> you go get out there. I will go so far as to say the lineups and the the configuration of the lines, like both the stability and the configuration, have been a strong suit of the coaching staff and Blashel this year. At forward, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's a, at defense, you're still very much working with what you. There's had only last so year. much you can do, <laughs> but it. I'll say it's not been optimized this year, but there's yeah, there's only so much you can do. It's like. If you had to put it on a number scale, it's like some nights it was a negative four and we think we could have made it a negative 2.8 instead. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. And another point I want to bring up from from the end of last episode is we should be very careful to not elevate Verona into this like mythical 60 goal scorer too soon. This is a 30-30 guy. Like, remember that, guys. In Washington, Verona was a third liner. Now, everybody was saying, hey, he should be playing above the third liner, the third line. And the Red Wings put him on the first line and it went very, very well. But that is a very small sample size. We are still dealing with a guy whose ceiling is probably 60, 70 points. I hope I get radioed for that. Not Just wrong. that. Yeah, right. Like that's something you'd love to be wrong. I'd about. love to be wrong. But that needs to be like I was talking about with the playoffs understand hopes versus expectation yeah i hope verona pops off for 40 goals next year my expectations is probably 20 to 25 like yeah it's it's one of those things where you're not saying it's we're not saying it's impossible you just need to you need to start seeing those things before you can start discussing those things in earnest yeah because sometimes like it's happening with zina now where a guy gets pumped up to a level that he's never hit before and will probably never hit and then people are mad when they don't hit that level like Zadina's draft profile elevated him to, you know, and and the how happy Red Wings fans were to unexpectedly get him, it inflated what he actually was, right? And yeah, so then, so he the, has underperformed expectations. No, he though. he has. But what I'm saying is, if he was viewed right now solely as a six overall pick and expected to be like a 25, 25 guy. Nobody's really that angry at what Zadina's done so far because he's been a career like he's had those moments where he's flirted with like a half a point per game, fifty point pace before this cold streak this year. But guys were expecting him to be a 40-40 guy, which I don't know if he was ever gonna be that. And now people are like, oh, this fucking 80 point guy's got 30 points. What so it just makes it worse. So I don't want that to happen with Verona. Cause if he does come back and play at a 50-60 point pace, and everybody goes, Oh. Thought he was going to be a point per game guy, and then they get mad at him, and it's not his fault because of expectations. So remember, hope for the best. Keep your expectations realistic. And he's going to be coming off a major shoulder injury and shoulder surgery. Do you know how hard that is to come back from? I'm just going to go back to something with Zadina. I've got to be honest here and admit, at some point, like when in his like stretch of games, I can't. If it was like 13 or 20 games. When he was scoring and producing at the rate he was, I was like, "This could be a forty goal guy." I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll oh, be no, honest. We all say thought it. that. Like, I'm not saying I'm not guilty of it. I absolutely oh, okay. thought it. But then, yeah, like you go back and you read the draft reports. Nobody was saying forty goal guy. They're like, "Oh yeah, this guy could be like, you know, a 30, 35 goal scorer, maybe hit 70, 80 points." And it's like, "Oh yeah, that's really good. That's great for a sixth overall pick." But yeah, no. it's, it just happens when you when you inflate a guy to. A level that he can't possibly meet. You're out. Do that with Mark Stahl all the time. Uh, oh no, he exceeds every expectation, good and bad. Mark Stahl's flawless. That's a lashing, actually, for implying that he's not. <laughs> you you don't get a pretzel anymore, Brad. Congrats, <laughs> you can now you now get a pretzel. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I um 
I I think I think Verona. If I had to, you know, stick my neck out, someone said, "Hey, don't be afraid to be wrong." On the show, I think you need to. <laughs> Have you listened to the show? <laughs> Not a problem. I'm going to go so far Check as to Mark. say. <laughs> Depending on as long as he's not playing with like Rasmussen and Ernie for the entire like quarter of a season, I think Verona will shake off the rust pretty quickly. But it is still best practice. Approach it like we did with Raymond and Sider. Say, hey, you know these are good players, but don't expect the world of them. You might get it. You very well you very well might get it, and you we have been from both of those guys. But just don't have don't set that expectation and let yourself be pleasantly surprised. I think we're gonna be pleasantly surprised with Verona. Yeah, just think of how happy we are that Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond have blown the doors off their expectations. If they, if this is what we thought they'd be, this would be a lot less fun. Yeah. Uh, very quickly here, the Red Wings have been apparently linked to Jeff Petrie. Why? Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> the The Montreal Canadiens are always. Um, I don't know why it's Habs fans are always linking Red Wings with trades. Like they're always kind of trying to match up with the Red Wings for trades. And this one might be true. I don't know. But Jeff Petrie is having a, a pretty rough year in Montreal. You don't say. And he's got three years left at $6.25 million a year. And I think the biggest thing he's isn't is he's an Ann Arbor guy. So he's obviously always going to be linked with Detroit. All those players who are from Michigan or remotely linked to Michigan are always linked back to Detroit. But he's got three years left at 6.25. So his dad pitched for the Tigers. Yeah. I always forget that. The 6.25 million is too much for Jeff Petrie. He's 34 years old, which isn't old. <laughs> Can you imagine me? Ancient. Oh, my God. Practically dust. Yeah. <laughs> Sand is pouring out of the cracks in his face. Um, he, he's he got a, a limited no trade. He's got a no move clause. It's all like it's not a good contract, believe it or not, coming out of Montreal. I you think you would re- take it, uh, lift that or wave it to get out of Montreal? To come yes, home to very much. Yes. Right? That, Ryan, that you don't oh, have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was being okay. a podcast. I appreciate that, though. Sorry. We'll leave no stone unturned. No, yeah, on this podcast. <laughs> Detroit, better situation than Montreal, question mark? Tune in <laughs> next time. Uh, it's actually funny to think about, though, because Detroit is no longer... Detroit is actually, I think, on the like attractive end of the scale now for destinations for players. They're right. They're teetering right on that edge. They're the grocery stick. If they come out next year and this year wasn't a fluke and it's like, hey, these guys are like almost there... Then, yeah, they're a destination again. They're Andy Dalton right now, but next year, like a couple of years, and they might be like a Herbert. A few years after that, they might even be like a Josh Allen. How that was for you, Brad. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Football doesn't exist anymore. No. Yeah. Well, what's going on literally right now as we're recording? Pain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so for this this one for me, the, the, the rumor is Montreal is not interested in retaining salary because Detroit and or whatever, like Dallas, for example, would want them at $5 million. I I just don't know how much I buy of this right now. It doesn't quite make sense for Detroit. He plays the right side, does he not? Yeah, like it's the one position on Detroit where you can go top to bottom and go, they're good. They have their number one right D, their number two right D, and their number three right D, and none of them are old. Like it makes no sense. I could see it as like, uh, hey, you you pull this contract off the books and you give us a little something, something for it. Yeah. But here's Montreal's in a here's, here's a Jeff Petrie and a Christian Dvorak. He's having a bad year. We'll let you try to fix him. Like that kind of thing. Sure. 
I'm not going to say it's impossible. I mean, Eisman did go out and spend an asset on Nick Letty, but at least Letty plays the left side. Yeah. So this one to me is is a little bit funny. I, I just... I think it's a lot of smoke. Yeah. I, Montreal's got new management. They're going to have to do some pretty creative work to shave off the years and what's going to be a pretty painful upcoming little while for them based on their roster construction. You're going to see a lot of smoke billowing out of there. It could be one of those things where, hey, Ken Hughes has talked to Steve Eisenman about Jeff Petrie, where the conversation is Ken Hughes calling Steve Eisenman and just saying, please, for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, the Bell Center is going to be look like looking like they're going to uh, be electing a pope for the next few seasons. <laughs> yeah. I had that joke played out in my head, but the delivery was... You know, I knew what you were getting at. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm very much too far removed from my last meal right now. So that's... Uh, that's a lot on the Red Wings and what's coming up for them. So we'll see where they end up. It's crazy that we're so far away from the trade deadline still. I know. I keep thinking. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like next week, isn't it? What's that? We're still well over a month away. Oh, he's uh, or sorry. The the condensed end of the season is so jarring to look at. You look at the February schedule. You're like, lots of days off, lots of rest. And March and April, like, get ready for the Thunderdome. Yeah. <laughs> You piece of shit, you thought you were going to sleep. You can sleep when you're dead, which <laughs> incidentally will be very soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, we are actually, before overtime, going to jump into our FanDuel-sponsored segment where we take look take a look at some uh, betting odds surrounding the world of NHL hockey, anything from games to futures. And something that I want to point out first is uh, the current player futures specifically related to the Calder Trophy. So the the betting favorite for the Calder Trophy right now is Trevor Zegras. He's at a plus 195. Don't need to know the odds. Smash the button on Mo Sider right now. Lucas Raymond is, is still coming in second at plus 250. Yep. And I think those two being close is very fair. Yeah. And if I had to put money, let's say Mo Sider didn't exist. I know, not a nice thing to say out loud, but let's just for the sake of the hypothetical. If I had to put betting money down, I actually would take... Zegris, not that he's necessarily who I think should win. I just think would win in a vote at this moment. Moritz Sider is coming in at a third place that's plus 550. So Zegris plus 195, Lucas Raymond plus 250, Moritz Sider at plus 550 right now. I know he's. This is the best bet we've had on this segment since it was born. Yeah. <laughs> he's had longer odds to start the year, of course. Like, and I know a lot of our, our listeners showed us, like, they have. They have some bets holding on Cider and Raymond that are that could pay out huge. But even right now, a plus five fifty or more at Cider, like the the whole league is coming around on him. He's not quiet, right? Like Cider does not have like he is showing up on every major outlet online, on TV, whatever. Like his highlights are making it. Yeah, sure. The the show is around Trevor Zegers and the cool stuff he does. Like he's the only guy pulling off the Michigan or he had that sweet shootout goal in the the All Star game, but. He's not the only one doing this stuff, and Cider arguably is doing more in-game right now. No offense, the All-Star game isn't during a game, so that should be wiped from it everyone's sh- memory. It should be it wiped. It won't be. It'll, it'll, it'll keep Zegers in the public conscious. You know what Mort Cider was doing while Trevor Zegers was playing a game for fun? He was saving animals from burning fires, <laughs> and nobody talks about that. Hey, Moritz, thank you for loaning me your Lamborghini. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah. <laughs> he was studying the blade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like 
anything can happen. We're still in the 40s for the amount of games played. Like we still have a lot of hockey left. We just talked about and it's a lot of dense hockey and that's going to wear players down. And Mort Sider plays a lot of minutes. I'm not saying he's a lock. Trevor Zegers can go on an unreal tear. Lucas Raymond can come back into the fray. Most Sider is the number one defenseman on a team that's about to run through the Thunderdome over the next eight games to steal your phrase there. So yeah, he's uh, probably not going to have the greatest time in the world over the next three weeks. And it's not his fault. No. It's because he's going to be like, it's artillery straight at him and his, whoever's defensive partner is if, that game. If he treads water over the next eight games, don't wait till the end of the season just to hand him the Calder. And like tease the heart as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the James Norris Memorial, we mean Calder Trophy. No, I, I'm just saying, I think Moritzsider right there at plus 550 is is excellent. Oh, yeah. I'm not even trying to be a homer. If you want to get away from Detroit, if you're saying, hey, like, I want another long odd, Anton Lundell at plus 750 is not bad either. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Because he's he's a very, very good player, and he, he took a little That's why long. I drafted him three times in our mock draft. Yeah. He's... um. Man, that could turn out to be a phenomenal pick where Florida got him in that draft. Could, it already has. It already has, but you know, you, you could look at that and say, how did so many people pass over Lundell? Where did he go? 11, 12? 11. He went to Florida, I think. Shut up, man. <laughs> the worst. Kale McCarr is still the betting favorite for the Norris, and uh, Shesterkin is still leading the Vesna plus 200. Vasilevsky a little ways behind at plus 550. And UC Saros at 800. That's still my bet. Yeah, you know what? I don't I don't think Saros is going to win. I think Shesterkin's going to win, but at plus 800 for the season Saros is ha- having, he doesn't need to do a whole hell of a lot more to win. Like he's right there. Yeah. The Hart Trophy to me is such an interesting one. I have no way no idea which way this is going to go. If this award was awarded properly, it would be Connor McDavid until he retires, but it's not, so that does make things a lot more interesting. And he is the betting favorite plus 195, but Ovi's plus 350, Saddles plus 650, Huberto's plus 650, Matthews is coming in at 1500 and McKinnon at 2900. I think that was on purpose. Yeah. Connor McDavid is tied in goals with uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, so that's not. Uh, Yo, what's Tyler Bertuzzi's odd? What's Dylan Larkin's odd? There's no, there's no odds offered on Bertuzzi Larkin. What about Mo Sider? Not for Hart. There's the bet. <laughs> no, there's nothing on him for Hart Trophy. You can't write him in at like. Well, you might be able to, but uh, there's nothing I can see right here on the, sh- the sheet. The longest odd is I see is Alex Debrinket at plus twelve thousand. Actually, a lot of guys are at plus twelve thousand, but. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't even know where to go with the heart trophy. Throw a dart. This is where you can really get fun with the odds because I think it's a little more wide open than people give it credit for. Matthews at plus whatever four digit number that was. That might not be a bad bet. He's having a quietly strong season given that he plays in Toronto. Yeah. All right, some team futures. Oh, yeah, well, they're not doing playoffs right now. So, okay, we'll uh, we'll get into some odds for um for Red Wings playoffs. Let's say after that arbitrary cutoff date, but that's that's all for now. So for those of you looking at a potential Moritz Slider value bet, there's one right there. Thank you to the FanDuel, spon- uh, FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring that segment. What are his odds on the Norris? <laughs> uh, and we'll get back to that. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Um, 
patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to help support the show they truly are uh what make this show happen and why we're able to say things like a happy seven year winged wheel podcast seven uh winged wheel podcast anniversary uh, max one million dollars that's not a question but some constructive criticism last episode should have been called sensational cider man you're absolutely right and i'm an idiot for not thinking of it the amazing cider man yeah the alliteration was about as far as i went i couldn't think of anything else uh matthew m rice says <laughs> this episode can be um well what one is it now we'd be on cider man 2 far from home workshop that a little bit <laughs> do they got a road trip coming up i don't know yeah sure figure it out. We'll, we'll try and line that up with that uh, Matthew M. Rice says a trade deadline thought Vlad seems to uh, like being back in Detroit and he's carved a nice role with the team exceeding expectations being that he's a UFA this offseason wouldn't it be a no-brainer to give him a chance at a cup run with a contender and re-sign him this offseason give Stevie and company another mid-round pick or two to swing for some talent while hopefully retaining him six months down the road yes but that depends a lot on the player because even if that's what the team wants to do if you trade a player sometimes they get really upset about it and they're like screw you i'm not coming back some guys are like no i don't want to go i don't care about the cop run i want to stay here don't trade me and then if you trade him he's like again same reason now he's mad i'm not coming back if you talk to him ahead of time hey we're gonna trade you to colorado go get your cup we'll be waiting here in july and if Vlad goes that sounds like a great idea you do it, but those so very rarely happen. It's rare, but if I had to pick a player type to do it, Nemesnikov would be there, and he'd be—he'd understand too. He's a journeyman. He wouldn't—I don't think he'd have hard feelings about it. But the fact that he is a journeyman, he could just be sitting there going, "I'm sick of moving." Yeah, it's true. I'm done with this. Not everybody cares about winning. I think he does. <laughs> I think to be in the NHL, you do to some degree. I mean, being a professional athlete, yeah. But at some point, you're just like, I'm good. Like uh, Connor McDavid. <laughs> yeah, very obvious. He's just cool with what he's got, right? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Terry. So, as Terry, as user Terry, maybe doesn't come by any other name, reminds us, uh, today's the two-year anniversary of the Terry dupe from Overtime. Uh, happy two-year Terryversary since the most memorable moment of podcast history. The podcast lines up perfectly to the day you love to see it. Also, why did the coward Brad Crisco not turn up to the fight he arranged? <laughs> I was in COVID protocol. I couldn't fly. Uh, that's true. Yeah. This comment proudly brought to you by the Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, official cheese bag of Mo Cider, a.k.a. hashtag German Lidstrom. Yeah, I got, when I got my quarantine cleared up, I was allowed out of the house yesterday morning. Um, Lord Blashill, Master Commander of the Tank Brigade, said, who had the prettier goal, Cider or Zadina? It's got to be Ciders, I think. Yeah, that was a dart. Zadina's was more emotional because of the context, but Cider's, I think, was objectively a bit prettier. Uh, Winged Wheels and Steering Wheels says, what prices are we looking at for the next Cider and Raymond contracts? High. Um, Unless they go bridge, which... Uh, I do not do that with them. (laughs) No, I do not either. You get them to eight-year contracts immediately, but... You're looking probably even now. You hear that? It's the Brinks truck backing up. Yeah, because you can't sign him to an extension till after next season. If you sign him to eight years and they repeat their seasons that they're having now, that number's probably pretty close to ten. <laughs> <sighs> 
I, uh, someone, someone asked like, Hey, would you sign them at eight by seven? Like right now or eight by eight right now. And they said that pretty early in the year. I said, I don't know about that. And I just can't think of, I can't fathom how stupid I was to even hesitate, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't bridge really. Just look at everybody else who's signed lately. What did Kale, didn't Kale McCarr get a big ticket? He got just under 10 mil. Um, who else? I don't know. My brain's potato. Signing them based on the current cap, which is artificially low. And while you have all this cap space, which Detroit has, it's probably your best situation to maximize their years. These guys are good now. Think of how good they're going to be through, you know, their age 23, 24, 25 years, which is like the peak of their athletic output. 26, 27, 28 still brings you, you know, the peak of actual production to get them into that range. Whatever you got to pay now, it's going to pay off in the future. I mean, shit, they're probably going to be. <laughs> this is this uh, conversation is almost moot by the time they're able to sign these things. Yeah, the AAV, whatever it is, and f- by the time that contract's coming to completion will be not a lot. The only thing that I think could make this a bit uh, more friendly to the Red Wings is that they have a GM who's notorious for getting guys in at value. So, yeah, I think those contracts are in at value. <laughs> yeah, he did. De- Eiserman doesn't have the Florida State tax thing to lean on anymore, though. Unfortunately. Uh, okay, let's take another question here. Um, ben Height says, "Keep one, trade one, and cut one." Ronick Osterly Lindstrom. Okay, I cut Osterly. Yeah, that one's pretty straightforward. Want to know a hot take? You're going to trade Hirona because he's got a higher trade value? Yeah. I was thinking that too. Yeah. I, I definitely like- think Hironic's the better player. Yeah, well, absolutely. But the way he's been playing lately, I think Lindstrom can at least adequately replace him, but you would get a much bigger return in a trade for Hironic. I don't, I'm not advocating necessarily to trade Hironic. And you don't need to specify that in every hypothetical. That's the one. You can tell we've been hurt before. We're basically playing fuck, Mary kill right now, Ryan. <laughs> you don't need to take it too literally. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you look at what Rasmus Ristolainen got the last year. And he's terrible. Yeah. Like he's not a good hockey player. In this hypothetical, yeah, I, I think I'd do that. Um, ben Fincham says, greeting dub dubs. I was at the game yesterday for my six-year-old's first Wings game. Oh, that's always a good one. Stuffed llama in tow. She didn't understand the woos either. <laughs> we don't. Nobody does. Uh, among the obvious takes others had, Zadina's goal being badass for one. I was thinking about what trade value, if any, Grice carries. Maybe Kenny calls about a set of tires. Dare I say Danny DeKaiser played decent as well. Shout out to the fellow patron I met in section 232. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ben, and fellow patron for your support. What trade value does uh, Grice carry? Mid-round pick. You, I would, I would honestly take anything up to like a fifth six for oh he's expiring take whatever for grace yeah literally calvin pickard played well in his brief showing doesn't matter yeah you take whatever you can get but yeah i bet you grace gets you a fourth a fifth or a sixth if ken holland's solution at net is thomas grace i'll cry laughing well his solution was going to be martin jones apparently was one of the ones he made an offer on it was martin jones Jonas corpusello who's having a bad year (laughs) And then I guess now they're kicking tires on Vili Huso, who is unproven, pending UFA, but admittedly having a very good year. 
Oh, you want Thomas Grace, Kenny. Uh, and last note here, and this is something that I actually wanted to mention on this pod. It's from Misconduct Racing. It says, happy for Trevor Thompson. I think he did a great job on seemingly very short notice and put more of his personality into his calls as the game went on. Yeah, so um, Ken was uh, under the weather, and Trevor Thompson stepped in for play-by-play for a national hockey league game which cannot be easy and i think especially as the game went on like the goal calls were fantastic and for someone who came in and had to cover like trev did a great job he did better than some national broadcasts we've watched this year yeah significantly better so yeah shout out to trev and and the Bally team for for putting that together but no that was cool his like i was watching this adina goal call i'm like that was really good seems like a good dude too oh yeah trev's a great guy I'll always remember him for keep away with Pavel Datsyuk. That's always what I think about when I think of Trevor Thompson is that keep away video. And like Trevor's a good hockey player. Yeah, he could hold his own. And Pavel Datsyuk made him look like a toddler. <laughs> Pavel Datsyuk made him look like me on the ice. Yeah. Honestly. Like as of right now. Oh, I tried stretching the other day. That was a oh. mistake. <laughs> yeah, I try to put my socks on too every day. I've taken to um, doing like core and stretching classes on my off days. And... I was swearing at my TV. I, I like casted the TV. I was swearing at the person on my TV. She was leading it. And it was like a beginner level, like easiest difficulty. And she was like, in just 20 more seconds. I'm like, a few 20 more seconds. <laughs> I'm going to stretch my core as soon as we're done this. <laughs> Fill your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, why don't we wrap up? Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you everyone for the last seven years. Um, apologies or you're welcome for the lack of pomp and circumstance for that this episode but like i said some exciting stuff coming up uh in the coming days so stay tuned I'd like to thank our sponsors uh the fanduel sportsbook and our name level supporters on patreon arjun shanker eves bartels on behalf of the sierra grand foundation kyle craggitz nick perks brett bailey terry driver of the number 69 crying ryan hannah banana slamma jamathong taylor tagel matthew m rice b diz carl brutana nanaluski chimmy Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Licking Windows for Fun, Matt McKay, RA, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, your friendly neighborhood window peeper, Zach Spring, Eves Bartels again, Alex Blackmore. Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad's dad Moan, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card. I'm so blazed, dude. I don't know what to put here. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million. My 90-year-old grandmother is now a name-level sponsor, E. Norma Stitz. Thank you, Granny Norma. Ravi DeLuca, Terry Actual, <laughs> Trevor Bevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McKenna, Driving Range Superstar. Thank you, Granny Norma. Appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.